We are finding story of the past and now from South Australia. I am a storyteller from the sea to the outback, the southern ocean where the living sea dragon live, where the last sowing sheep of the wind drama sowed along the Spencer Gulf, where the last sowing sheep called in, and the landscape of the Fender Ranges of the Royal Hops and Sturt Dizzy Pea Flower of the Outback. Today, I'm doing a podcast of my era that I was brought up. You may have heard me talk about royalty. That's where I one era I was brought up in the hundred of royalty. But today, doing a era called Hundred of Curly Worthy and Port Rigby, which era that I was brought up in, which is next door to royalty. Royalty is on the north side of Curly Worthy and. And I also was brought up Ava called Matt Rat, which is in the hundred of, of Curly Worthy. And I got today I got a person that named Ian Brand. He's a farmer in the hundred of Curly Worthy. He's is on a farm at Curly Worthy all his life. So Ian, thank you for for coming to do this podcast. A pleased to be here, Gavin. It, the word of, of curly wordy. Do you know the word is? Is it a aboriginal word? And do you know what the meaning is? Yes, well, it uh, comes from the Narunga people. There's a couple of translations of Kulawerti. One is, uh, and it sounds to me like something uh, that a, an academic linguist came up with, a literal translation meaning dirty fish's tail. But uh, the other one uh, sounds better to me, and it's where the rocks meet the sea. That's end. Um Yes, I think the uh, where does these rocks meet the sea sun a better one for uh, for me. When I was growing up, doing my swimming lessons at Port Rigby. Now, in history of the Rigby and the story of Mr. Rigby. Uh, yes, I've uh, picked up bits and pieces over the year, uh, years about uh, Tom Rickaby. Uh, he was uh, um, married to my great-grandmother Crozier's sister. They were Macbeth girls from uh, down around the lake. Uh, go back a bit further, Tom Rickaby, he was uh, born in Ireland in uh, 1830, I believe. And growing up, uh, he, he joined the uh, Royal Irish Constabulary. When he was at police school, uh, of course, they, they were drilled... Uh, uh, almost in a military fashion, and uh, his drill master was none other than uh, Robert O'Hara Burke of Burke and Will's fame. And uh, I've uh, I've checked up on Robert O'Hara Burke, and uh, story would seem to fit because his movements coincided uh, with Tom Rickaby's time in in the police college in in Dublin. He he lived at a place called uh, Black Rock, which these days is a suburb of Dublin. And uh, uh, the story I heard from 
to said king, like old bloke do, as they get, the older they get, the more they come out with a story. Sometimes they're the same stories over and over. But uh, this one was when Tom Rickaby was in the police school in Dublin. Uh, he was also in the police band. And go back to Blackrock. Blackrock is say, similar to Henley Beach is to Adelaide. In other words, it's a seaside place. And Tom said that on a clear day, you could hear the police band playing in Dublin. You could hear it at Blackrock. Be, I suppose, several miles away. And he said, and above it all, he said, above it all, you could hear the soprano cornet. He said, and it was myself that was playing it. When he came to Australia... He uh, was stationed as a mounted policeman at Goula, and uh, that's uh, where he and um, uh, Margaret Macbeth were, were married. Uh, several of the children were born there, and then several more were born when they, they moved to Port Rickaby. I've um, got a piece of paper somewhere which lists the names of the, um, the Rickaby children, and uh, there's 16 names on the list. Some of them didn't survive to adult. Uh, four of the boys went to the Boer War, four more went to the First World War. Now, whether they were the same four or whether anybody went to both, I'm not sure. Um, OK, uh, uh, and uh, where he was, uh, how did he get to York Peninsula and uh, how did he, um, where was his farm and where he passed away? Um, he passed, uh, well, uh, I think he, he left horse and came over when the land was subdivided close to settlement and he settled adjacent to his brother-in-law Edward Crozier just uh, inland from, from the coast. Uh, my Crozier relations have told me that it should have been Port Crozier uh, but it wasn't because there were more Rickabees than Croziers in that particular generation and and my grandma, she had no want for cousins with 16 children in the Rickabee family. Okay and I believe he passed, when he passed away he might have passed away at uh, Port Fenson? Yes, uh, that's where the grave is and I think one of the sons might be buried there as well uh, Mrs Rickabee was uh, a bit younger. She lived on in Adelaide for a while, um, I think, and uh, yeah, I, I had an aunt who remembered visiting her in her old age. Um, as well as the land at Rickaby, uh, they expanded east. Of course, they couldn't go westward. They'd be in the water. Some of the uh, the land is Port Rickaby and Karamolka, and he sold some of it to Harry Butler and his, his brother Tom Butler in the 1920s. Was it a... Did they have a school? There? Well, when you say there's a township, the township is uh, the surveyed township of Coolawerty is uh, in what we think of as Mount Rat, and um, there grew up another uh, area where uh, I live closer to Port Rickaby, and there's a church and a school there, and tennis courts, like so many of these places around South Australia. The area of Coolawerty did it have a school? A, a separate room, uh, Edward Crozier's house. Inland, about a, a mile inland east of Port Rickaby, um, and uh, that started in, in the 1880s. Ten years or so later, families uh, increased and there was a need for a bigger school and that's where the building which still exists uh, was built up on uh, what they called uh, Browns Hill. Okay. Do you know when the school started and finished? Uh, well, yes, that, uh, that later school, uh, that was... I pretty sure it was 1896 when it was opened and it closed in 1942. I often 
uh, find people stopped at the school and or the, the church and I always ask them if they've got some connection with the area and often they have. We didn't have a church when in at, at Kudawurdi? Oh, well, yes. I think the, originally there was one up on the Mount Rat, uh, what is now the, the main road, sort of not far from where you lived as a boy. Uh, and uh, that was wood and iron, and um, later they moved to uh, the similar area, very close to where the school is. They worshipped in a converted settler's cottage, and there's still a pile of rubble at the rear of the current church, uh, which are the remains of that. And that lasted for about 10 years, and then they, they built the current building uh, which was opened in 1898 I think it was when that it was a time of combination of various strains of Methodism and I think it uh, was originally planned as a Wesleyan chapel but when it opened it was a Methodist church because there were some of the uh, outfits joined up uh, in at the time while the building was going on okay so we spoke about the churches and we talk about the school School is anything else there now or been at at the school at, in the Kurdiverdi? Well, uh, between the uh, we haven't talked about the tennis courts yet, but between the church and the tennis courts, there's an area which has now been planted with uh, uh, native vegetation. We did that in 1975 at the um, centenary of the uh, district of uh, Midlandshire. But uh, before that, it and there are the remains of a, a dip. I think I think it was a communal sheep dip with the, the neighbours adjoining in and building it and then using it. But I don't think it really took off, and I, I've never heard of it being used. Certainly not in my time. Okay, we're going to talk about tennis courts. I remember when I stopped playing tennis for royalty. Curdy Wordy got me to play. For in for them. just at Curdiwurdi, not away from Curdiwurdi. So I used to hop on my motorbike and play for them, and um, stand stand by when they need some people there. So you like to talk about the history of the tennis courts. <coughs> my mother came to Curdiwurdi. The place was alive. It's not like it is now, where the farms are bigger and so many people have left, and there were all these big families of teenagers uh, with time on their hands, and um, a few of them were pretty keen on tennis anyway. Anyway, and they were, if they had a salt lake, they would go out and uh, in the in the summer months when it was dry and hit balls back and forth. So she uh, got her brother-in-law, Bill Poole, to and others uh, to help put down the tennis courts to give these these kids something to do. If you've you've played for Coolawerty, you would know that at Coolawerty we had two secret weapons. One was the South southerly wind in in the tennis playing season, yeah, no, south or southeast wind, and if if it was still, it was often hot, and the flies and uh, friends and opponents from the towns in particular. I don't think it was uh, their favourite place to go to play tennis of a Saturday afternoon. Uh, these days, if people uh, whinge about the flies, my my reply is, well, I didn't notice them until you turned up. Yes, uh, flies. I do remember that quite well. Family names of Curdy Wordy. What the come out you will think of? Uh, like I used to spoke about Crozer and Tonkins are the people that I first think of of Curdy Wordy. Well, I've uh, gone through the the Curdy Wordy school role. 
and I, I wanted to see how many uh, surnames, how many family names were there, and I, I came up with 64. There were so many more people in the district. A lot of uh, the children that went to that school uh, would have uh, been working for farmers. The, there were people who had worked at Port Rickaby in the grain business, uh, the children of, of Lumpers and, and people like that. You're looking for names, Gavin? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, that. I'll just go through. Uh, Rosiers, Tonkin, Rickaby, Will, Fians, uh, Gardeners in the early days, Mars, Menzers, Kings, Edwards, Watsons, Porkers, Tomneys, Browns, Hunts, Quains. Uh, burners, there's burners there. Butlers, cooks, new bulbs, lock, whopper, or looks like whopper. Uh, my mother used to call it a whopper. Um, Martins, Dannenbergs, Hawkins, Webb, Montgomery's, Reby's, Mumford's, Porter's, Chambers, Detmar's, Golder, Crocker, Russell's, Tucker, Peterson, Williams, Cliff, Miles, Goldsworthy, Hardy, Pools, Vincent, Wrights, and Snook. The last one uh, is Bo Snoop, who uh, came out and uh, uh, boarded with one of the families, and he, he kept the school going for several years because had he not done that, it would have closed earlier than it did because of lack of lack of pupils. Thanks, Anne. I don't have anything to hear the, num the names of those people because some of them I have known. Some uh, I heard you talk uh, Golf Worthy. Well, that's a Caramongo name. I know us. They were related to porkers. So, and, uh, and what often happened was that, uh, the, well, there was, for example, there was Crozier from Yorktown came up and stayed with the Coolawerty uh, uncle and aunt because possibly mum was having another baby. Uh, so she sent the older kids up uh, while that was all happening. They would stay while the the parents moved to another place of employment. There are all sorts of reasons, and the the uh, roll book is very interesting because it gives uh, when they came, when they came, their previous school, um, and who their parent or guardian was. And you can see, oh yeah, so and so staying. She's this little kids come over and stayed with them, and well, that's her aunt, of course. So you know, you can read all sorts. The more you look at the roll book, the more you can work out. That's in. Um, in the early days, uh, where did they get the water? Okay, they would have a a, a house and um, a well, or but probably they will, would not have enough for the horses. So where did they get the bulk of their water? Oh well, a lot of it was run off into the the underground tanks. Uh, Sid King told me that his father, Peter Charles King, before he'd been there five or six years, he'd had dug these the two big uh, tanks, uh, which you can still see adjacent to where the, the homestead was, and uh, there was runoff from a couple of directions, and he said that his father never wanted for water after that. didn't mean that he could be profligate with it. There were no lawns or things like that. The, the problem came uh, with the, the Murray water. A lot of the, the old systems, um, because the reticulated water was relatively cheap, they didn't worry about the upkeep of the systems they, that they'd had since the 1870s, 1880s. Some people, not very many, had underground water. Um, uh, the other problem was they were 
try and find some underground water and more often than not it would be salt. There was um, fresh water some places along the coastline as there is on a lot of YP. They are known about the uh, a, a well or that was a walk on top of death north of Port Wickerby but I used to know where it was because things changed. They, changed, they put different blocks Put fences. I can't find it. I went to look for it about two years ago. Couldn't couldn't find it. But I used to know to it. And of course, you got um, um, fresh water in the sand. Who's of royalty? And then if you go a bit further north again in Mumford, mm. uh, it was that one there that right on it. And the other one, of course, is that Matt Rat Wells. So the ones that I, I know of. And where across the road where I was brought up was a, a, a hole for water to run into a, t- a government tank. Uh, also, the, the most popular person that we haven't spoke about was um, Harry Butler. Um, the, he was used, uh, a man the, with, with mean tenants. The farmer t- turned into be used to fly um, planes in World War One. And, to, and can you just tell me a brief history of Harry Butler? Yes, well, I don't pretend, pretend to be an expert on Harry. Uh, there's plenty that's been written about him. Um, I, I, I like the story of how uh, when he was uh, a young fella, uh, he was terribly interested in flying and used to um, have a close look at his mother's chooks to see how they did it. And also, apparently, he eventually got a motorbike and would suspend it by ropes between two trees and um, then mount up and so that he would get the feel of what it would be like to be in the air. Okay, then, okay, the, so for the people who want to do be richer, just look up for Captain Harry Butler. No doubt it'll be something up on the websites for that. Have you got heard in stories of myth story, something funny about the school? Uh, apparently, lunchtime football matches. Uh, one team was Crozier's versus the rest. The teachers were often single ladies and they would board with the local families. Being only two minutes away by foot from our place to the school, we had a number boarding there or else boarding at my great uncle's place, Tom Brown, that's where Edward lives now, at Navin or with Tonkins or with Porkers and um, uh, yeah, the, there's a, a number of stories about some some of the uh, ladies married farmers and stayed in in the district. And I believe that for a short time, Harry Butler's wife to be was uh, a teacher at the school. Okay, I just remember when I was growing up, it used to be known as the Port Wickerby Fox Hunt. So you can just tell me something about that. I, I can. It's something that I don't think we'll see again, Gavin. Oh, health and safety, etc., etc. Depending on which way the wind was blowing, they would either start north at Waralti and head south, or down at Watson's Beach and head past the Bluff and Barkers Rock. And either way, they would end up for a barbecue. 
Thank you, Port Rickaby. That's in later days. Originally, it was for uh, Walt Crozier's birthday that they used to have it on that day, and I think they carried on the same day. It was some built sometime in July, and uh, the procedure was there were there were two groups: there were um, beaters and blockers. Now, did you ever go on a fox hunt, Gavin? Um, no, I didn't. Right, so there were beaters and blockers. The beaters, they were armed uh, with shotguns, no rifles allowed, and they would space themselves behind bushes in an elevated position and uh, wait for the fox to come in front of uh, the beaters. The beaters were either walking or some on horseback, and they would walk towards the uh, the blockers who were waiting with their shotguns. And uh, the idea was that the beaters would uh, disturb the foxes which lived in the sand hills who would then head towards the blockers and uh, a great time was had nobody was seriously injured except the foxes as far as i'm i'm aware that's it that's a very subject uh, uh, that would get people talking i think do, when i'm doing some hi- history about to do this uh, it, the man's service would mention to well, I believe it came down from Moonta uh, down the peninsula, not necessarily on the main roads that we know of today, and uh, to Minleton and then branched off, I think, to Stansbury or Port Vincent. And uh, it took passengers as well. And it was the, the photos of it in the um, Minleton National Trust Museum, and it's like something out of the Wild West. It's a stagecoach a la Cobb and Co or Western movies, and there there's one terrific photo there. It's probably in the last days of that mail service. And there's four or five uh, locals, I presume, and they're guarding it. And they've got the horses and and the guns and the droopy moustaches. And the, the, it, it, it is a, an absolute classic. Uh, as far as the, something that uh, younger people find hard to believe, uh, my, when my father... Um, spent a couple of years in Adelaide in 1910 and 11. Uh, How did he go to Adelaide? Well, he didn't go up and around the Gulf like we would today. He got on the mail coach, probably up at um, what we call Butler's Corner, south of the Mount Rat Crossroads, and we uh, uh, he went down to Stansbury, got on the steamer and um, went across the Gulf to Port Adelaide. When he got to Port Adelaide, he still had to get out to the school at Kent Town, so he got on a tram. And Pippi Newbold was telling me about his grandfather, Sid Newbold, who was a bit older than Dad, but um, they sent him to the same place. But I think when he got to six, uh, the age of 16, he got a driver's licence and a motorbike, and um, he went from Waralti down to catch the steam motorbike and all and when he got to Port Adelaide uh, he rode all uh, rode the motorbike and it must have been winter time because he couldn't ride on the road he had to ride on the footpath because the the road to Port Adelaide were too muddy what will you why will you come to Port Wickerby and what's there at Port Wickerby today well you say why would you want to go to Port Wickerby why wouldn't you want to go Gavin uh, nice beach um, Talking about the uh, the grain industry, uh, if I can go back to when the jetty was built, the jetty was built in 1879, and uh, the the hundred was first uh, started to be settled by uh, Europeans for farming in 
1876. And uh, for the first two or three years, they, they had to take the grain out to the catches uh, on a small boat. Uh, and they wanted a jetty. Um, and Tom Rickaby, having uh, had been in government employment, knew a bit more than the average cocky about how things works, worked. And he headed a, a deputation to the government in Adelaide and eventually money was provided to build the, the jetty. But the original contractor, he fell behind schedule because of the bad weather and other problems he had. And uh, it was finally completed in 1879, I presume, for that harvest. And it was the, the man in charge, they got a different contractor, uh, and the man in charge who finished it was uh, Mr Lido, that's L-E-D-O. And um, he was of Portuguese origin, of all places. Uh, he, he had come from one of Portugal's West African colonies, and he was instrumental in um, contracting the construction of several jetties uh, in the colony and he still has relatives on York Peninsula to this day. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. That's really history of the Port Rickaby. Uh, these days, uh, when I go to there, um, it, I know that the, like, the holiday exact as that I know when I was growing up as slowing in pushed down and brand new houses are getting put up mm. and and at Port Rigby is a carbon park mm. there and and also um, quite a number of houses yeah. and I qu quite enjoy go back to Port Rigby we've been part of my home and uh, when I was growing up doing some swimming and I think most people um, down swimming lessons in the area. We'd be asked where you do your swimming lessons at Port Rickaby. Well, you mentioned swimming lessons at Port Rickaby. Port Rickaby's uh, very open, which uh, was one of the problems with preserving the jetty. And uh, I've heard it said more than once that if you learn to swim at Port Rickaby, you can s swim anywhere. What do you think of that, Gavin? I I I think so. So true because it's it's a very ample area, and uh, what I remember, if you only go there like four, like ten days or a fortnight, and you spend five days on shore because the wind is blowing one way or the other, you don't get to do the swimming lessons. But but. Um, Oh, and you mentioned the barley stacks. I, I remember them reasonably well. Fortunately, I came, uh, started the farming uh, when the bag, corn sack bag, jute bag era was almost finished. But as a kid, uh, I remember going with uh, my cousin John Crozier uh, to to see him spend the day with him and his father was a, a grain agent at Port Rickaby and um, af after the grain was delivered well then the shipping would start and um, uh, John and his other cousin on the other side uh, Ray Stasnoski and others Alan Wright they would build uh, sort of cubby houses in the stacks and how they all survived to be old men is beyond me. 
Rati and Kosher Russell, all those old Thomas yeah. uh, I remember when I was growing up. And yeah. um, uh, just, uh, just before we sign off today, do it, the Kurdi-Wurdi hundred years that I remember going to the dance at the night time and I remember I was a table there and you can all buy your uh, wine glasses or whatever and I was talking to Bob Mumford to the other, oh, that's a young burner, like half of them are not quite sure who I was I don't think or, or they had a guess and Bob's um, told me who, who I was. So it's be, oh, that's a young burner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I work it out before you come here. I was 21. Okay, and it's really fantastic you to give me your time. Thank you very much. Oh, well, it's, it's been great to talk to you, Gavin. Yeah.